Hello, this is Pastor Chris Simmons going into our study on Corinthians. And this is the introductory section as we start into the first part of the first chapter, just getting into it. So in order to go through this study effectively, especially in the first ses session, uh, we focus a lot on an introduction to Corinth. What was going on there, the reputation, what was going on within the city, um, and also what it meant to be a city at that time. So we have a map, and on that map you can kind of see here that the position of Corinth really is pretty unique. It's got a harbor both on the north side and the south side, making it a major metropolitan port. A little bit of history is it was destroyed originally in 150 BC, rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 46 BC. And Paul, he showed up in Corinth about 50 AD, and the dating that we have on the letter of 1 Corinthians is 55 AD. <clears throat> so to give you a picture, Paul shows up. It's The city's been around not even quite, oh no, a little over, sorry, 100 years. And then Paul writes this letter about five years after that. As I mentioned, it has two ports, which made it a huge met major metropolitan city. Um, to bring that picture a bit to light, a city at that time was probably around 30,000 people, and they estimated for Corneth to be anywhere between 100,000 and 700,000 people. That's a huge gap, obviously, but they're just trying to show you that this city, in particular, was massive in size for that time. It was one of the greatest uh, commercial and trading centers of the ancient world. What was unique about it is they were the host of something called the Ismithian Games, and these were a set of games kind of like the Olympics, and they were held every two years. So you see when Paul starts talking about later in training the body and analogies about running a race, you know, do you not know that in a race all runners who run but only one gets the prize? He uses these obviously as like a good preacher would to be culturally relevant to the people he's talking about. Using actions, and sorry not actions, examples that they would be familiar with and analogies is where I was looking for. Analogies that they could understand. We go to the next slide over here. The reputation of Corinth. This had a reputation for success, but it also became a byword for evil living. There's a word, it's Cornithiazomai. Sorry, I messed that up. But Cornithiazomai. And that literally means to live like a Corinthian. And that was used as like a term to uh, describe somebody. Think of it like name calling. It was a, a um, what do I want to say, a descriptor, right? To give you an example, Corneth, it was often described as a seaman's paradise, a drunkard's haven, and a virtuous woman's hell. To give that word, that Corinthiazomai, a bit more depth, the portrayal for a Corinthian in Greek theater at that time was someone who was drunk, very promiscuous on stage, flirtatious, if you will, they were kind of known a bit for uh, sexual immorality. In fact, something that's fascinating, well, fascinating probably isn't the right word, but something that is really informative to understand is here, in Corneth, it had a reputation for that promiscuous sexual activity because in there was a temple of Aphrodite. And at the temple of Aphrodite, there were over a thousand prostitutes that were there and when you go to worship Aphrodite one would go to the temple and pay the prostitute and have sexual intercourse there as an act of quote-unquote worship 
And then those same prostitutes would come into the city at night, you know, I guess, for the on-the-go worship. And it was a major activity that happened there. And you see how Paul addresses that topic later on, because a lot of, again, the book of 1 Corinthians, or that letter, is about sex and sexual integrity. That's why it's such a major deal there. There was a phrase in Corinth that says, it is not every man that can afford to go to Corinth. And you kind of get the picture there. Because if you contemporize that into a modern-day city, um, it's, it's a very um, high-end, very expensive city, so it was expensive to live there, expensive to eat there, and you could say expensive for worship and worship activities there as well. Also, its reputation was one for religious pluralism. To say that, it's uh, kind of like a, a melting pot of religions that they kind of picked and chose whatever they wanted from. You know, like Greek and Roman gods, Egyptian gods were even big there, as well as cults. So you can see, as Paul's writing this letter, Christians were finding it difficult to adjust it to a new faith that was so exclusive as they were often tempted by this synergism, combining multiple religions, because that's what the culture did. Even at that point, you could see the struggles in the letters for new Christians were still like taking pieces or still had these beliefs that they could take pieces of other religions and mix them in to this new Christian faith. Or people would take spots of Christianity and say, hey, that's good. Let's add it into our synergistic religion to kind of make, I don't know, some big religious uh, trifle or, or what would be another good word, uh, a great religious trail mix so to speak, picking and choosing what we want in it so we can just grab a handful and get whatever we want from it at any given time. So the purpose for this epistle and this writing is for two major reasons. Number one, Paul addresses almost right away. There are divisions within the church. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, when he says, Brothers, let there be no divisions among you. In fact, be unified in your mind. He talks about all these different, uh, how they're separating themselves. What's, and I'll get to this a bit later. But uh, there are different spiritual leaders that they're all following. He says, Stop following all these different spiritual leaders, saying you belong to them, when we all should belong and relate to Christ, how we belong with Christ. In fact, he gets to this, and you'll hear it in the next section. There's a word called, um, in the Greek, it is, oh, I'm a, why am I drawing a blank on it? Anyway, the, the word in Greek, it, we get it for schism, is what we get, oh, schismata, there we are. So the word in Greek is schismata that he uses for division. So it's not just disagreements people are having. There's actually a distinct separation between them. A schism, and we get that word meaning a distinct separation. Something is cleaved in two and separated to be two different things. You hear that word in like schizophrenia, for example, meaning there are like for some reason two different people or two different personalities. A complete separation. Paul's saying stop the division. Your allegiance is to certain teachers and not to Jesus. The second one, uh, major problem is he says matters that are written about or matters that you wrote to me for and this is in first Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 and here you have to get the understanding that this letter is a reply to a letter that was written to him with concerns and questions that they had so to kind of get an idea of the picture of how this has happened what we believe is this is not his first letter that in fact uh, Paul wrote a letter 
and they read it and applied it. Then they wrote him a letter in response, a reply to his initial letter, and now he's writing them back for a third one. So this could be possibly the third letter in the series over the course of those five years. And we call it 1 Corinthians, because in our records, this is the first one that we have on record, or the first one we have copies of. In fact, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, where Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter, kind of expecting us there was a first letter, then a response, and then Paul is writing this letter again as a third response. So throughout class, we had major discussion questions, one of them being, um, in what ways was Corinth in Paul's day like many cities of today? And in part, that was kind of to get this idea of the spiritual problems in, the, in that church at the time are often ones we're dealing with today. That, that synergism of like beliefs kind of being brought all together, it kind of muddles the Christian faith a bit when we have, well, you know, Jesus sounds too exclusive. I kind of like this other practice over here. Let's mix it into what we're doing some of the, the sexual integrity questions and such. People will say, oh, you know, what we read in Corinthians that's uh, in all of the Bible, that's, that's outdated. You know, they weren't paying rent at that time. They didn't have to worry about not living together. Well, we kind of go through this letter and we realize how timeless yet timely God's word always seems to be. Another discussion question we had after that is, what do you think the church today would look like if we didn't have the Bible? And that question is more geared to make us empathetic to what's going on in Corinth because they didn't have the Bible. Most of everyone in Corinth, and you'll kind of see there are four distinct groups that go through this. Majority of them, however, are Gentiles. They're Greek and Roman Gentiles that didn't have the Old Testament scriptures to say, oh, look at these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. They didn't have really the set of moral standards and laws that we see in the Old Testament that we that the Jewish Christians had the benefit of, well, these certain things are fulfilled, but we still keep the same sense of morality based off of what Christ taught us. They don't really have that to fall back on. So I'm not making an excuse for them, but there's a reason that an early church like this would struggle, especially in the culture of that day, but even in the culture of today, to start a new church. We do have the Bible, thanks be to God, to fall back on, to, to not even fall back on, to push forward, to elevate to, to be reverent of and to be the source of all our teaching, right? Sola Scriptura, what Scripture interprets Scripture. But not all uh, contemporary models of not just church today, but, but teachings will discount that even to a bit. So we can kind of, again, here have, be a bit more empathetic of what they're going through today. And I mean, the, the first New Testament, they didn't have that yet. You know, the Mark was the one that wrote the, we date the Gospel of Mark being the first New Testament written around 70 A.D. Paul's writing this letter again in 55 A.D. And this letter amongst this, and I think it's Thessalonians, are some of the first letters that Paul wrote. So again, they don't have a lot to really reference. So some of their failings are just, hey, we're beginners at this. But Paul is here to gently correct them. And in some senses they should know better. So as we get into the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, there are kind of three things that Paul does in just these first three verses. First, he kind of lists his credentials. In the time he's been away, I'm sure, and he's sure that new people have been added to the church. And they're like, who is this guy 
that can just say what he wants to us. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is that could give us this kind of coaching, um, especially when it's so intense as we get through the letter? So he lists his credentials. He's saying, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm appointed by Jesus. I've seen Jesus and even capable of miracles when it's appropriate, right? And that's what an apostle was then. It's why we don't see apostles the way we do then as we do today. We talk about, you know, the gift of the apostles teaching and stuff, but, you know, I have, I, you know, I've been appointed by Jesus. Sure, we can kind of cover that. Seeing Jesus, okay, maybe in the love of others, not, not Jesus in the flesh, but capable of miracles, definitely not. So we kind of have one of those points, if anything, but we're talking about a direct interaction for real when it comes to uh, being an apostle. And the apostles were really meant to lay the groundwork for the church, and now that the groundwork has already been laid, we don't see them the way that they were, at least at that point. Um, number two, he's sanctified in Christ Jesus. We hear that in that part of Corinthians. Let me get my Bible out here and let me read it to you. So we are First Corinthians. Paul says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have sanctified in Christ Jesus. He says that. So it's the idea when you hear the word sanctified, what it means literally is set apart. And he's, again, bringing a sense of camaraderie with these people together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and theirs. So he's already kind of, when we get into that issue of division, just in the first few sentences, already proclaiming unity with all churches against division. And then he closes that with that grace and peace, right? Grace to you and peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that he starts with grace because it really emphasizes God's gift. And both of them, grace and peace, are undeserved gifts from God. And it's Paul's initial start of saying, hey guys, chill out a second. <laughs> chill out, everyone. Don't forget about the grace and peace given to us from our Lord Jesus Christ. And we get into this next section. Oftentimes in our Bible it's titled Thanksgiving. And that's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4-9. through 9. I'll read it for you. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There's one big point of emphasis there. He always goes back to, in Jesus Christ our Lord, in Jesus Christ our Lord, in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's referring to the thing that we all share rather than the things that divide us. It's not like we have to be robots, that we all have to be uh, vanilla ice cream and every single scoop of vanilla has to be the same. What he's referring to, and I, I like to think of it this way, if you consider a tree, like a family tree, 
um, and, and that tree has a trunk and roots and it grows and when you kind of make them as a kid in in school you kind of have the branches that go out that have aunts and uncles and on those branches there are more branches of fruit that have your cousins second cousins things like that we often focus on the fact that we're branches apart from each other. Even if we're on opposite sides of the tree, extending away from each other, we focus too much on the things that divide us, the things that make us different. And that's what he gets to in this next section in Divisions of the Church, rather than what brings us together, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Even a tree that has branches and fruit that are on opposite ends of the tree still abide in the same tree, in the same trunk, in the same roots, in the root system that draws up nourishment, that draws up that sustenance. Remember, he's telling these people, we are maybe on opposite ends of certain branches, but we all come together through the roots into the trunk that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Focus on the things that we have that are similar rather than the things that are always dividing us. As I go into this and we close, you know, the question is, how well do people normally receive critic criticism? In what way or in what was something that you were critiqued and how did that go? And honestly, you know, even when people ask for criticism, tell me I can get better, oftentimes they don't love hearing it. It takes a prepared mind and a heart that is that is strong and ready and wanting to get better to really want to receive that criticism well. But especially if it's unwanted criticism, we don't take it very well. I don't like people telling me that I'm wrong. A lot of people don't like hearing someone else say that they're wrong. But in this same sense, you know, there's... Um, we look to this... I, I was talking to somebody who is a... Um, He's a parole officer and also in charge of other parole officers. And here he says, hate the behavior, not the person. And that's a neat thing to hear and listen to because oftentimes, um, especially in that position, you start to hate people. Something that he told me. And, and I, I know a few other guys, one guy that was in my seminary program that was a, a prison guard and a warden. And he said, you know, I just started to hate people, but I hated people everywhere. Not just at my work, but also the people that I saw in the grocery store. I just saw everything that was wrong with everyone. And we are broken. We are sinful people. I get that too, absolutely. And Paul is really emphasizing here, don't focus on the division, focus on what makes us in common. And it's not sin, even though, yeah, true, but it's the redemption of that sin in Jesus Christ. The, the salvation that we received. Hate the behavior, sure, hate the, hate the sin, absolutely, but not the person because the person that's in front of you are the ones that need correcting Jesus died for those people in the same way he died for us so speaking the truth in love is a big deal because we see here for some reason Paul is thankful I give thanks to my God always for you because of what Christ did for you I always thank my God for you because of what God did for me I always thank God for you because of what Christ did for you. He has that point of thankfulness right in the beginning. And often when we're in this position dealing with difficult people and difficult times, we look at them like they're difficult and I, we don't look at them and say, I thank God for you for making my life hard. In the same sense, Paul looks at people and says in this time of thanksgiving, I thank God for you because of what Christ did for you. 
So let me encourage you as you go into Bible study and look into some of those parts. Really, the enlightening, enlightening part for this is the culture of the time in which the letter was written in. Remember the worship style, the Temple of Aphrodite in particular, is a huge piece that plays into it later on. The, the, the games, the, the things that were similar to the Olympic Games that we heard earlier, that was another big piece that you'll see pop up a few times a little more often. I'm drawing a blank on what they're called. Come on now. The Asminian Games? The Asminian Games? But anyway, to, to go back to what we're talking about. Uh, oh, yeah, Temple of Aphrodite. Where it's set, it's a major city that makes a lot of... The Ismithian Games. I now remember it. Sorry. But uh, all these things play into the letter. And once you kind of have that in the back of your mind as you go through his instruction, the, the second session talks about the different groups of people in this division, you know, Paul will talk about those who say you belong to Paul, or that I follow Apollo, so that I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. What these four groups mean, and kind of what the makeup of the city and the churches at that time, because it really informs the instruction later. I pray that your time in the Word blesses you, the time you listen to this, as you study would bless you, and uh, yeah, let's live abundantly in that blessing that is Christ. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.